I think the first thing to think about is the best way to get in front of investors is to get warm intros from other entrepreneurs who the investor already knows. So I think a lot of people spend time trying to network with investors first, and, and that's good and helpful. But a, a smarter way is to make friends with other founders. So if you know that you want to raise money at some point down the road, the best thing you can do is start making genuine friendships with, with other founders, because those are the people who are going to open up doors to Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Warren Schaefer. Warren, thanks for making time. Thanks for having me, Jess. So for people who don't know what Noble is, what's the, what's the elevator pitch? Yeah, we're a new company, less than a year old. We're backed by Andreessen Horowitz and some other great investors, and we are a audio-first learning platform. So think of it basically as your favorite podcast and masterclass having a baby. That's what we try to deliver with each course delivered through Noble. I like it. So I'm, I'm a huge audio nerd. You know, our listeners know I've listened to like, I don't know if you count the Jason Bourne books, like 1100 audiobooks in the last dozen years, right? So I, I'm all about the audio first, but why was it a passion for you? This really was a company where I'm solving my own personal problem. I became a father a few years ago and found that my personal time was greatly diminished post-baby. And I want to keep learning but couldn't find the time for lengthy video courses. But with, with audio, you know, I can listen when I'm doing dishes or going for a walk or a run or, or riding my bike, et cetera. And I, like you, I've always been a fan of audiobooks. And just realized that there was no one making good for you audio in a structured way. And so we built Noble to be that company. And I, I want to hear about the transition from video to audio. For people who don't know about VidMe and you guys grow on that to 20 million something users, whatever, can you give us just the quick background on that? Sure. Vidme was a user-generated video content platform. When we launched, we were the simplest way to publish a video to the internet. And we scaled the platform to over 25 million monthly users and were the first platform to introduce direct fan to creator tipping as well. And we ended up selling that company to Giphy. And, you know, really, again, the, the, the shift from video to audio was I just didn't have time to, to watch a bunch of videos. And, but I found myself listening to more podcasts and more audiobooks. And so when, when my co-founder and I, Alex, thought about what we wanted to do next, we thought we wanted to be in the education space. We, you know, we were thinking about video as the best format, but, but realized that no one was doing audio first. And it, feel, it felt like a clear hole in the market. And, and so that's why we set out to build Noble. Well, I, I went and I downloaded the app and I listened to the first episode of, uh, what's the Alexis Ohanan? What's the one that he narrates? From Reddit? His course is called Launch a Startup. Okay. And yeah, Alexis is the co-founder of Reddit. And, uh, you know, while most people have heard of Reddit, I don't think that as many people know that they have like a $3 billion valuation or something. Like they're huge. Yeah, it's a legit platform. I think, I don't know what the most recent Alexa ranking is, but it's certainly in the top 10 of, of most traffic websites in the world. It's a major powerhouse. Yeah. Kind of a sleeper platform. Sure. So I'm interested, you know, with folks like them backing you and Andreessen Horowitz, what, what are the advantages you've seen from that? I think that working with great investors is such an advantage for, for a venture funded startup. I mean, they're, 
a, a great investor will help you focus and prioritize and basically avoid mistakes that other founders have made before. Each each investor brings their own skills and strengths. So I, you know, it's, it's hard to talk kind of in the abstract, but I think certainly just the as a founder, your job is to basically de-risk as fast as possible, right? And there, there's so many risks when you're starting a new venture. So having a great investor is also just a signal. It helps you attract the best talent, right? To know that, okay, if you have a great investor, you're more likely to be able to recruit great talent. If you have great talent, then you're more likely to be able to recruit great customers. So it, it cascades down and it's one of those hurdles that uh, once cleared opens up doors down the road. Yeah. For folks who would love investors like that, what kind of advice do you give for people to be able to attract that quality of money? Yeah, I'm actually thinking of making a, a knowable course on raising your first round of capital. So I've got, I've got some ideas here already. Look, I think the first thing to think about is the best way to get in front of investors is to get warm intros from other entrepreneurs who the investor already knows. So I think a lot of people spend time trying to network with investors first, and, and that's good and helpful. But a smarter way is to make friends with other founders. So if you know that you want to raise money at some point down the road, the best thing you can do is start making genuine friendships with, with other founders because those are the people who are going to open up doors to, to great investors much more easily than even a direct investor can. Yeah. And, and where were you based before Bay Area? Mostly LA. Yeah. So I grew up in Southern California. I'm first generation. My parents landed in Southern California. Um, spent some time on the East Coast and San Francisco, and then, but my adult life was was mostly in LA. Okay, and how do you find that that Northern California, Southern California difference compared to just like the the cliche answers people might expect? When I moved to LA, it was 2010, and the startup scene was definitely smaller in Southern California. I think it's really changed over the past decade. I, I think that LA is a great place to to run a business and especially with COVID, you can run a company from basically anywhere now, right? And you can network your way to investors. I think that the capital is still obviously concentrated in SF, New York, and Boston. Like those are the big hubs of capital. I think it's something like 81% of assets under management are in those three cities. So at some point, you know, you're going to have to have some points of contact probably in San Francisco, but LA, I think is increasingly its own ecosystem and uh, there are enough big companies there that you can you can run a, a great company there and I think LA is really interesting because it has a history of storytelling and that's so important for especially a consumer internet company is how do you communicate with customers and how do you create a brand yeah well I'm interested in lessons for the rest of us of you know, growing Vidme to 25 million users and then what you can, you know, what you can borrow from that for this next chapter in your life here. Yeah, Jess, it's such a good question. I, I had the privilege of meeting Lauren Michaels one time and I asked him for advice, like really generically. It's like, hey, Lauren, do you have any advice for me? Were you at Saturday Night Live or where was this? Yeah, a friend wrote for Saturday Night Live and I got, and I, and I got a ticket to the show and then I got to go to the after party and Lauren Michaels was talking with Al Gore and I approached Lauren and was like, excuse me, Al, I have a question for Lauren. And I was like, what advice? <laughs> so I think it was a bad question. Basically, like, what advice do you have? And, and the advice he had was work with people smarter than you. And that advice has really stuck with me. So I basically just try to find people who I think are, are even smarter than me and was fortunate enough to, to team up with my co-founder, Alex, who I've worked with on, this is now my, my third business. So Alex is just a really brilliant product designer. And I, I think that's been a, a key ingredient to getting ahead faster. Yeah. Surrounding myself with smart people. 
So like, what's a tactic that you guys did at VidMe that not everybody else was doing? And then as you think about Noble, what's, what's a, you know, an approach you're doing that's not already crowded? Yeah, with, with VidMe, we had no marketing. We were totally organically driven. And, and I think one of the best questions that a founder can ask herself when starting a new company is, how do we build growth into the DNA of the product? And with VidMe, we definitely did that. And with Knowable, we're taking a longer approach to it uh, because we're, we're building up a library of, of content. But growth is always something that is important for any consumer and probably even enterprise business, right? Because the company that, that grows quickly just ends up getting so much of the resources, especially in venture where 6% of the deals drive 60% of the returns. It's, it's really a power law dynamic, right? So you want to be the biggest company fastest in your space. So thinking about growth, that's the, the quick answer. Yeah. So, so what does that look like at Noble? So we're, you know, we just did a design sprint last week to think about, okay, how do we actually bring growth in to this product uh, much sooner? And how do we come up with ways beyond, you know, traditional marketing to ha- help people learn about the experience? And, and something that we are experimenting with is that we actually have a marketplace component in beta right now. So we believe that lots of people can turn their knowledge into a business and that we can help them make an audio course. So you've obviously chosen to make a podcast, but some people we think down the road will decide, I'd rather just make an audio course. I'd rather rather do sort of a one-time, you know, pre-recorded thing that distills the very best of my knowledge and thinking that I can then go sell and make money from um, or use to to burnish my brand. So um, that's something that we are uh, actively pursuing. And that's us going beyond just being a a media company and really becoming a platform, which is what we were at Bitly as well. So what's the value prop there? So, you know, we've had, whatever, 450 episodes of this so far. We have lots of like New York Times bestselling authors and people on, right? And one of my favorites is, is Shane Snow. We just did a mini series about, he's the guy that built Contently. I don't know if you know that $100 million company in New York. But he's, he's Wired Magazine, Fast Company journalist as well, bestselling author, right? I loved cool. his book, Smart Cuts. And now he's writing a new book on intellectual humility and probably wants to do a course about it. So what's the value prop for somebody like that to bring it to you guys and give you guys a, you know, take a 20% haircut on it? What, what are you bringing to the table for somebody like him? Yeah, so we're actually creating this format of audio course. It's not something that really exists right now. So think of a podcast and it's basically one, one directional, right? Um, it's really hard for your fans right now to, to interact with you. With an audio course, what we can do is actually personalize it and make it feel more interactive. So things like quizzing, right? He might go and make you know, an hour long audio, and it'll feel much more structured. And because it's audio first, he can actually do things like bring somebody in, right? So rather than, you know, think about an audiobook, right? I know that you like audiobooks, but an audiobook actually isn't audio first. It's made for the page, and then somebody goes and reads it the way it's written, versus audio first is, hey, I want to tell you this example about how I built Contently. I want to loop in my co-founder. Here he is, right? And so um, making it easy for, you said his name was Shane, right? For Shane to create that highly polished, highly listenable product is, is where we see our sweet spot and, and competitive advantage. Yeah, I noticed that just on the first episode that I listened to, the first class, it, it did feel like it didn't feel so forced. It, it felt like a natural evolution and, uh, you know, high production quality. Anyways, c- congratulations on the quality. Thanks. Yeah, we, we obviously worked hard on it. Uh, we, we just hired an amazing head of content who learned audio under Ira Glass at This American Life. And 
was an executive at Headspace most recently. And so we, we, you know, again, my superpower is hiring people who I think are smarter, smarter than me. And so I'm really lucky to have hired some, some wonderful content folks who are making courses really come alive and bringing those pod, the, the listenability of a great podcast to education is, is what I think the secret sauce really is for us. So I'm interested in that, that saying, because you hear it so often surround yourself by people with people better than you. But in my observation, I see it so little. I hear it all the time and see it so little. And I think, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. I think that there's like a, like a fear and insecurity for a lot of CEOs. And, and I've certainly felt this of like, well, if I'm the CEO, then I should know everything. Or I should be, you know, and like, I should be like the, the industry veteran, right? But it's like, by definition, if you're making something new, there isn't necessarily, even if there's like, or you might need like, what if you're doing something that's recombining different kinds of industry veterans, right? So by definition, there's no way you spent 20 or 30 years at multiple of these disciplines, right? Any, any thoughts about like overcoming like the fear of being seen as incompetent or the, th- these kind of things as a founder or CEO and, and actually hiring those people better than yourself? It's so tough. Yeah, it is. I agree with you. It's one of those things that's really easy to say and hard to do. I think ultimately what you have to do is define the role, right? So as CEO, I, I don't think my job is to do every single thing at the company. And so deciding what it is that I'm going to focus on and where, what are the areas where I should be best at is important, right? I, I don't think the goal is to hire, I mean, maybe someday it is to hire a CEO better than me. But at this stage, at the early stage, I think the founder really carries the spirit and the energy of the, of the venture, so, but I don't necessarily think that I'm the best person to make audio content, right? So I'm, I hired somebody who spent years working under the very best audio creators to make content that feels both educational, but also really listenable. And I think defining what you want to be great at and then trying to delegate everything else is, is the key to not trying to do everything at once. Yeah. You know, I, I was kind of excited when your people reached out because I am, I'm such an auditory learner Mm. and I find the world is much more geared towards visual learners, right? And so I was interested to hear where you guys are pushing the industry and what you're doing and and get ideas. You know, I think about like, like our show, our podcast, you know, I tried really hard at first. We did like daily shows and we accidentally got kind of popular. And then I was just busy trying to run too many companies at the same time. Okay. Which by the way, is not a recipe for success. If anybody is wondering. (laughs) But I just put this on the back burner. We did like weekly shows just to like keep it from dying, you know, and it like just kept getting bigger. And like, you know, depending on the day, we're either the number one or number two innovation podcast in the world, according to iTunes, you know, and I'm like, oh, we should finally take this business seriously, probably. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's a good sign if it's growing despite the neglect. (laughs) Yeah, right. So, you know, we're in the middle of trying to start what we think is something new of taking like kind of like those content marketing brands that go like way beyond content marketing, like a Red Bull or a Bloomberg that actually like become a, like a profitable media company, even though it's their marketing arm, right? Trying to take that, but for entrepreneurs and business owners um, towards investing. So like where Bloomberg does this for New York stock traders, we want to be like teaching Warren Buffett principles to founders and, and CEOs and stuff. And especially around liquidity events, I, you know, I started my career in M&A, I want to teach them how to get the most for the company. And, and then hopefully they want to buy our real estate investment trust. We're buying like boring, reliable apartment buildings in downtowns of great cities, you know, just kind of like, it's not like get rich money. It's just like, you know, set it and forget it. Truly passive. Right. Um, And so I, I think about like, I feel like we're really underutilizing these like great people we have on the show who 
we make friends with when they come on the show and are like, so there's a fun conversation. And I hope our listeners like this, but like that person has got so much more in them than we covered in these two 25 minute episodes. Right. Right. So, so let's say that we wanted to do stuff with either repurposing aspects of our podcasts or, you know, but like coming back to it with thoughtfulness where we've storyboarded out what we're doing and we're pulling clips from 450 episodes to like on a general theme and stuff like that. Any advice for people who are trying to rethink audio and go more your direction? Yeah, I think we should work together. You know, <laughs> I think we've got, we've got a tab on our website, which is great. And, and you can fill out the form pretty easily there. And that's ex- exactly a use case that we see happening is podcasters who have these huge libraries of content, right? And for me to go and listen to 450 episodes of your show, it just feels daunting. But if you were to go and distill it down into, hey, here's the best, the best part of my show for investing in real estate, right? And it's it's three hours and it's broken down into segments and chapters and there's notes. Then I start to feel like, okay, you've distilled the very best. And that to me feels worth paying for. See, like, uh, you know, we had the billionaire CEO of Zoom on quite a while mm-hmm. back, right? And I'm like, in many ways, I'm sure Zoom has exceeded his expectations. But in, in, some other, way, in other ways, I'm not so surprised it's done well because his like relentless customer service it was like inspiring like back when nobody cared about zoom i i was just like so inspired by the way he approached customer service and like grew to 100 i would say 140,000 users with no help just like pure customer service play you know and and so now when he's so relevant i'm like man we should go back we should pull that you know we should pull all the great points from him but then like go through other episodes and like get supportive pieces to support the messages he said. And like, I could totally see this being like an audio, an, like an audio course to customer service first. And then we like have some, have some copywriter turn it into like a, a monograph book second, you know? Yeah. I think that I, we're going to see lots of ways to repurpose all this audio content that's, that's coming out. Right? And there's going to be this curation layer that happens in audio that hasn't happened yet. And that's certainly something that Noble wants to be a part of. So when you think about the choices on what to make content about, you know, I, I listened to the founders of Masterclass talk about the research they do of like, what's worth this level of investment in. What does that process look for you guys of, of knowing what to put the time and effort into? There are three categories that we're, we, we've been focusing on since launching, and that's career and, and professional development, self-improvement broadly, and, and health. And the reason we picked those three categories is because those are areas where we feel like somebody can get an immediate financial ROI when they listen to something. And for us, it's really about proving that people are willing to pay for audio. And this is something that common sense and, and the cultural wisdom today is, well, no one pays for audio because radio is historically free and podcasts are free. There's so much audio content and <laughs> they haven't looked at my bill. They haven't looked at my audible.com bill then. Yeah, exactly. So audible is, is the big uh, counter example to that certainly. And I've been an audible proud audible subscriber for, I don't know, 15 years now. And, but the other, the other thing to think about is people said the same thing about TV, right? They said TV is free. It's totally app supported. No one will ever pay for TV. And now we have HBO and Netflix and Hulu, et cetera. So we think audio is going to go the same way and that there will be premium best of good for you audio that's ad free and that people are happy to pay for. Well, I, I, I feel like I've seen that, you know, 
you look at even YouTube, right? There's, there's so much available for free, but you have to sort so hard to get to it. And then when a masterclass comes out, it's got such high production quality. It's like a magnet itself, just in production quality. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm this huge fan of Sam Jones series off camera. I don't know if you've seen that where yeah. it's like, it'll be like him and Jack Black or him and Brad Pitt or whatever, but it's just the two of them in a room. It's not like a traditional talk show. It's just like this white room. It's shot in black and white. It's very calm. It's not, it's like the opposite of Jimmy Fallon. I love Jimmy Fallon, but this is the reverse. And it's just like thoughtful and it's long form interviews about what it's really like instead of like, but it's almost like peer, it's peers talking, not like they're not on stage, you know? And mm. you can watch like so many two minute clips, but if you want the real thing, you got to go to, I'm a subscriber. I think it's HBO. It must be HBO. You have to do this like subscription to his, to his series through HBO and, and I do that because it is so much, like you just can't get that quality of interview elsewhere because nobody else is treating these Hollywood stars like that. So nobody else is getting the answers he gets. You know? Yeah, it feels intimate and personal. Very. So if you go back, younger version of yourself, what, what advice for being a future CEO would you be giving yourself? So advice for future CEOs is to really think of things as a, as a marathon and not a sprint, right? It, it's really, really easy to get in the mode of being always, always sprinting. And I think that having some moments of pause and really making sure that you're answering the big fundamental questions is really important. So I, I see a lot of young, energetic entrepreneurs kind of dive into an idea without really thinking about, is this something that I want to work on for 10 years, right? And having that sort of long-term framework of does this align with my values of not just who I am today, but who I think I want to be in 10 years, right? So a lot of people will come and start working on some consumer idea and it's exciting and shiny, but they'll, they'll often lose excitement as they kind of age with the product. And so that, that's my advice is work on something that you personally care about and that you think you will care about too. And over time. I love it. Well, everybody, please tune in for part two of our interview with Warren. Thanks.